What's up? Get ready. In less than one minute, we will be on this copter headed over to a truly magical home studio, a guitar lair like no other, where Michael Thompson, MT to his friends, will demonstrate the shimmering sound that made him one of the literally most recorded guitarists in history. He's played with as many superstars as you can name and probably more. You're going to be dazzled by his resume, but mostly by his sound which you can also check out with the Michael Thompson Band Records, MTB. There's a lot going on in this episode. We've got some long jams. We've got all kinds of tone talk. And if you make it all the way to the end of this epic hang, which I know all of you will, he goes deep into a discussion of working with Mutt Lang and then ends with a beautiful Elton John interpretation you won't forget. Thank you, Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com for putting the fuel in this chopper to get me over to great guitar layers like the home studio of Michael Thompson. That's beautiful. studio of Michael Thompson. This is crazy. want to thank Guitar Player Magazine for bringing us here today and GuitarPlayer.com. This is No Guitar Safe Podcast, where we fly the helicopter to the most awesome guitar layers of the most awesome guitar players. I'm Jude Gold. And I'm in heaven. This is the famous guitar sound and guitar player who's worked with everyone from Michael Jackson to Celine Dion to his own solo band, MTB, Michael Thompson Band. Some of the best clean tones, best dirty tones in the biz. Kenny Loggins. I don't know what it it was about that Strat sound, (laughs) but it just seemed to work on so many records, you know. Um, hey, wait. Um, do you have to get that? Or? No. Hey, so can you keep going just a little bit? I'm, I'm actually it just I'm introducing you right now. It's perfect. Oh, okay. A little more of that. <laughs> okay. Kenny Loggins work with great producers such as Babyface, David Foster, Umberto Gatica. And so many artists, Whitney Houston. It goes on and on. Michael Bolton. So yes, Michael Thompson in the house. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, thank you. Man, How do you just you call in the angels with that sound? You know what? And, and I no, like the to no play choices. Pretty stuff. All right, I want to hear some more. No guitar is MT. safe. How I mean the list of artists that you did sessions with is, and work with everyone from. I don't know. They put that you know that session men thing up. Yeah. Which I guess that's a page or a, mm. uh, some kind of thing. I I. Oh yeah, take a photo of that. And um. As big of that's, a list as all those 
Artists that's everybody. Are, I remember doing every single one of those sessions. The only thing that's wrong on that is White Snake, and I don't know how that made its way onto there. Okay, there's like literally a hundred artists on here, and you've heard of every one of them, people. So if there's one error, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, read some of these. <laughs> Barbara Streisand, Ray Charles, Linda Ronstadt, Bob Seger, Ring, Ringo Starr, Justin Bieber, Scorpions. Whitney Houston, Beyonce, Faith Hill, Joe Cocker, Neil Diamond, Dusty Springfield. These are all just headliners. Bette Midler, Roger McGuinn, Brian Adams. I'm just skipping through because I can't read them all. Celine Dion, Seal, Michael Buble. It's nuts. Li- not <laughs> Lionel Richie, Christina Aguilera, Nancy Wilson, In Vogue, Kenny Loggins, Luther Vandross. It just goes on. It's insane. Kristen Chenoweth. I play with her. Yeah. Um... Britney Spears, Bob James, Tommy, Tony Braxton. That was some huge stuff. Unbreak um, My Heart. Unbreak My Heart, one of the hugest songs. So, yeah, this fascination you have with Pretty. I love Pretty guitar parts, too. So, uh, okay, will you make up a part on the spot? I'm hiring you, but I'm giving you Monopoly money, not real money. So, let's see if I can throw a groove at you. And you're going to come up with something. <laughs> hey, what kind of groove? I don't know. Just something, something that's not pretty. It's like a G minor thing. It's like... Already sounds so good. First pass, folks. It sounds so good. Let me change my tone a little bit and, and uh, get a little, a little louder. Three, four.
that is that's the magic man that is the mt magic right there i mean he's that's like, kind of more the sound that i've you know that's what i was saying that sound seemed to fit all those records with synths and you know and it's still to this day it's a sound that it's just i don't know if as guitar players we just like it and stuff yeah. I, I remember working with a producer once i won't name any names like i put this sound up i came in and it was a pretty little yeah. girl he had just produced by the way he's super talented and stuff but we just didn't hit it off but um so he had just he had done Jewel's album and he had like a new Jewel like some blonde twenty year old girl who wrote tunes, and I go in and I had like a sound like that up or something yeah. right and we start working on the song, and it's like hey man that that's like really tired that Strat sound everyone uses that you know, and and she's like oh I really like it. I, I really liked it. I, I was only yeah. in that situation a couple of times where the artist totally, I'm yeah. like locked with You're them. Like in the middle. But there's someone sitting between us that's yeah. the actual guy with the gig, you know, the, the producer, you know. But fortunately, that didn't happen very often because yeah. I found that stuff I like, the stuff we like, everyone, you know, they like oh, too. Yeah. And also just the parts, like you could change different, you could use anything that you just played, you know. You could do yeah. that on any guitar through any any kind of amp. I mean, obviously you're playing off of the echoes and the, yeah, and the thin sparkly pickups, but there's always a way to do it. Yeah. Um, what is your little recipe right now? You got these uh, these pickups going straight. The recipe of? that I found with this is this the, guitar, which is my one that I played on every single song I ever played. This started life on the wall of performance guitars, which preceded your time in la by i mean i i came here in 79 and like that was the only guitar shop in hollywood you know and then there yeah. was valley arts now for the record you were just playing a gb guitar from our friend yes greg which has the Back. same exact uh stuff in, in this and the stuff that's in this that's different than a regular strat is there's a boost er that this guy Jim Kaufman makes yeah. that's always on zero. It, it'll give you like 10 dB boost or something. But I forget how I hit on it. But the original guitar I had from Performance Guitars had a Bartolini booster, which was the same basic thing. It added shimmer, high-end, um, more yeah. strattiness to the strat, yeah. right? And so... Uh, Jim Demeter had a partnership with this guy, Jim Kaufman, uh, and I tried one of his... It's not the mid-boost uh, booster. It's just like a, a volume booster. He doesn't even advertise that he makes them. Anyway, yeah. in a Strat, it sounds like more sparkle, more stratiness, more things. So that became an element. And then... Um, Is that on there right now? Yeah. So this this is the the you know This is the actual guitar that I played on all the songs. It's just golden, man. I mean, that it, is it's so like beautiful. So, you know, I, I'm glad I have and I have that purple one that that also has 
that, the GB, this guy, they all have the Kaufman booster. They all have the... Um, Is the boost this, on right now? Yeah, well, see... Um, this definitely sounds stratty. That's with it all the way up. This is with it on zero. And I can't turn it off. Um, oh, I got you. But um, what I ended up doing was getting, which is brilliant, man. Uh, it's what I had in this in the 80s is Seymour Classic Stacks, yeah. which then I used to just have the full pickup. But then they made it so you can you can tap like in when it's on just the neck pickup, it's the full pickup quiet stacked. Yeah. But then when you go to this position, it's it's the single coil, half the pickup and half this pickup in reverse wound, just like a regular strat, two single coils quiet. Then right. you go to the middle and it's the full pickup quiet. And it, it's it's a great thing because you yeah, can use yeah. the pickups by themselves which th this is Fralin, uh um i think he calls them hot 50s or something like that so these are these are single coils and i can't use them Get a little buzz uh, you could but you know it's like just turned on the strymon cloudburst and the strymon big sky You know, when I'm working on a song, I mean... Is that a Wormuth neck? Uh, no, it's a performance neck that it used to have a Floyd. This this guitar was... Got you, I see. That uh, was not a Fender at all, really. No, it had a Floyd for years. It was from performance guitars. Before yeah, which was up at Yucca and uh, Frank Franklin oh, and cool. Yucca or something. Or Yucca and Vine. And it was this Japanese guy, Kunio. I think they're still around on the other on side of Coinga. Yeah. yeah, I've been there, a little shop. Yeah, I haven't been in since the 80s. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool spot. But they, they were kind of the only game in town. I remember meeting Tim Pierce there. He was just hanging around. And, but um, a friend of mine called me, this guy Danny Jacob. We were all friends and stuff. And he called me and said, man, you got to check out this guitar that's up on the wall at Performance, right? And um, I went in, and it was just something about the block of wood or something like that. It, it just, because that, um, it was this body, and it had, you know, strap pickups and stuff, but it had a, a rosewood neck. It was a whole other neck. I, I took this off another one of their guitars, but um, it was just that combination, you yeah. know? Now, what are you doing for like an amp right now? I know you obviously you're going through your studio monitors here in stereo, but what is the quote unquote amp, if anything? The is amp the UA is thing this. Or? No, this is this uh, tube preamp. It's supposed to be a model. It's supposed to be a basement preamp. It's like a um, Fender basement. It looks like a one space rack unit. Yeah, six knobs. Who makes that thing? 
it's just a basement preamp that um or there was a studio out on uh nassau in the bahamas called compass point and the guy that was running the studio was this guy terry manning who uh Wow. A famous guy used to uh, recorded ZZ Top, recorded Led Zeppelin, uh, but for years he and his wife managed the the Compass Point Studio, and they you know they did a lot of big records there and yeah. and stuff, and and uh, he had a back room that had his gear in it, uh, and he he liked the way I played and stuff. I guess he didn't open it up to everyone, but he let me use. Um, I was there to do this guy Corey Hart's album. I was there for like five days, and he had this basement, Tweed 59 basement, all like with the, you know, uh, Tweed all yeah. falling off and stuff. And for the whole week, I used that one amp, like through my rig and stuff. And like if it was clean, I'd have it on two. And if I wanted a little grid, I'd put it on like four. It was like the perfect amp, right? Yeah. And I remember coming back to LA and going to the guitar center. And I had no idea what basements were getting, you know. I was shocked. And this was, you know, late 90s, so by now it's probably twice as much. But they had four tweed basements at the Guitar Center in varying stages of, you know, they weren't mint, any of them. And they were like 4,500. And and uh, so I, 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 I bailed on the thing. Um, why did I start talking about... Oh, oh, so anyway, he had this preamp that he had made a few of. His son's name is Lucas, and uh, he called him the Lucas preamp. And I got him to sell me one for like 350 or something like that. Anyway, the, that's what that's I'm going awesome. through now. Well, that's so cool, man. Um, I yeah, I wanted to show you that uh, this... So that's my squeaky clean sound, and I've used. I heard uh, Eric Walls in his interview talking about car amps. That yeah. underneath that Marshall back there mm -hmm. is a cut down car. Yeah. It was a combo amp, and Greg cut it down to that. Yeah. That was what I played on most of the records. I love, it just gets yeah. the best the clean best. sound. Are you, you must be friends with Greg Martin. Greg Martin. Guy, he's out of, I like, don't know any of the guys at Carr. Is he, well, a, he is a Southern guy. He played with. Uh, we played with. Um, you might know him on Facebook. He got the best fucking tone. He's playing with the Kentucky Headhunters. Oh. And and Marshall Tucker. He was Did like he with play both bands, car? and we were like in between the two bands. Hmm. He, yeah, I was on the side of the stage. You know, just listening to just the guitar into the car combo, really? open back, just cranked up. It's, wow. You know, it's like the real deal. This kind of amps. Yeah, and, and that six slant six V. Um, got almost like a direct sound it, it had the perfect amount of not too much bass like a fender could yeah. up could be kind of bassy and stuff and just kind of the settings it's on on like two um it was my clean amp it forever at one point i got an eggnator that ie4 and i used yeah. that quite a bit too but but that car was my go-to with this guitar one thing that everything goes through is this EQ that's brilliant, man. It's called a Para EQ. It's made by Empress. And it's it's the most... And I've always been a little bit ignorant of... I mean, I know what highs and lows and mids and stuff, but they've made it like... Well, and you and you saw that Tom Bukovic showed that in a video. Yeah, he did, and and it was it was an EQ that was actually doing something, and and it really, it really does so much. Um, 
change. Like a little bit sound of like, this is a lot of bass. Sounded like you switched pickups, but you didn't. Yeah, no. And then real highs. And then these are high, middle, low, a, di a different, you know, schmangy. And, um, man, that, that thing's a winner. So I, after nice. my other stuff, you know, if you have it... Just adds that that little bit like that a that a engineer would add. So this is um, I mean that's Sounds like great. the clean song Don Hidley oh I no I didn't like Campbell but um okay yeah, yeah so that's like the that's supposed to be the super bass the lion what a cool pedal and then, universal you know, audio Sorry, I didn't. I didn't leave that guitar in tune for you. Leave no guitar un untuned. <laughs> no, no guitar in tune. That's the new podcast. No guitar is tuned. Yeah, man. guitar man so you got all kinds of cool stuff going on it's a venti over there That's like a venti pedal, which must does a beautiful rotating speaker. The, the slow sound is really good on this. I've got a bunch of Leslie pedals. This this one's good. It's a German the vent. Man, this guitar sounds great that you handed me here. That's a, another. 
One, it's like I, I, w I had been saying to Greg, I said, I don't have any guitars. I hadn't had a guitar with a Floyd in years, you know. So we did that with the tuners, and they were now yeah. in my way, even though I used to be able to play with the fine tuners there. Yeah. And I was like, I thought it was a wash, but we just ended up getting the one without the fine tuners and not the clamp. And, and then I put this, you know, in deference to Andy Timmons, man. Oh, yeah. it, it's a good sounding, I mean, it's not a real stratty sounding. The neck thing, yeah.
we can <laughs> do that all day. <laughs> oh, the elephant noise perfectly. Yeah. Well done. You know that one? I think I you said, go, well, yeah. You gotta hit the. Yeah. With the volume off, obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the lion's pretty pretty cool. Yeah. You now, know? so take me back a little bit, just a little. Give me the five minute version, Nick. Why did you start playing guitar? Did your parents play music? You grew up on Long Island. I know you ended up at Woodstock when you were like 15, checking out the show. Yeah. Watching Carlos Santana. <sighs> Try to control the snake. <laughs> yeah, grab a guitar. Which are, no, no, no guitar gets put down. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Yeah, you said Carlos told you he was, uh, he was fully peaking and his guitar turned into a snake. But tell me, take me back to the beginning. How did you end up going down to music and moving to L.A.? <sighs> well, the, you know, the, it's funny how many of us have the same, well, especially people my age, Saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, February yeah. 9th. My birthday was is February 11th, and for my birthday I got Meet the Beatles, and that was the beginning. Even though I, I had had a, yeah. uh, I had been given a horrible acoustic guitar for Christmas when I was uh, like like two years before yeah. that, right? And, you know, how did they ever expect anyone to learn how to play when the strings are... I mean, yeah. I, I like high action higher than most people, but... Uh, yeah, um, these guitars are great. Yeah, I remember on Christmas morning trying to, like, go... Because the yeah. little uh, book had, like, C and that the yeah, most horrible G7. sound. G7. Yeah, that G7. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, it was, it was that, and then my brother and I started a, a band called Stone Feather in keeping with like Led Zeppelin and Iron Butterfly, we went with Stone Feather. Oh, I see. And, uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, and it started rehearsing in our in my parents' garage. Man, we were so into it, it would be like the dead of winter, and we were down there in the garage with... Um, Not There wasn't central heating in the garage, is what There wasn't, me. but we had these two little space heaters that couldn't cut it at all. Like, I remember yeah. the... The bass player had mittens on, you know, and, and but but we would rehearse like four or five days a week after school, and you know do our dances, school dances, and playing at church dances and battles of the yeah. band. And um, my brother and I were really into the Who, so we kind of incorporated that jumping around thing in our set and swinging the mic around his head, and I'd be doing windmills and stuff, and and. Yeah. Um, just enthralled with it and, and we lived uh, uh the town i grew up in it was like 25 miles outside new york city you could just take the long island railroad in which one uh port washington was the okay. name of the town and um and fortunately my parents let us go i mean they were different times then but they let us go into the city my brother yeah. and my, my father worked in the advertising business in the city so we would take the train in and um go up to his office and say hi and stuff and then hit the streets and go down to like Greenwich Village you know and um just we were like a little younger like 14 15 16 than the 
the real like cool hippies and stuff who were like 18 19 who were doing drugs and stuff but yeah. we were around it we were going in yeah. head shops and and you know started going to the Fillmore east which was just like i said magical magical what was the most inspiring guitar performance you remember seeing at the film oh east? man or some of them um jeff beck there you go the truth tour with uh and he was playing a les paul then and uh it was the original band nicky hopkins uh rod stewart Amazing. and and ron wood on bass uh. know, playing through a plush <laughs> bass amp i remember that and that i was ready for that because i had been listening to the album but uh i remember like a couple of kids from my high school said that they had been you know seen a show the other night and there was this band that opened called the allman brothers and they had two lead guitarists and two drummers you know and i'm like wow i gotta see that band the almonds played there like two or three times uh before their first album came out i, I remember reading a thing like they paid them like 500 bucks or something you know and they, yep. um seeing Dwayne the, the first wow. so so the next time their first album had just come out and um so i'd been listening to that but but they were that was great and and then all of a sudden like every band was getting two yeah. drummers and yeah. two lead guitars and stuff and and um you know so so the whole time we have our band and um uh i had just when i was um 18 i was gonna go right out of high school to berkeley but i i got with a band the first band i ever auditioned for it was this horn band from the city called um freeway and they had like you know horn players that were like 25 and stuff and i'm 18 and and it's, so i'm playing with a better grade of musician and um doing original tunes that that this guy wrote and stuff and they were in the next town over a town called great neck you know and um so the other guitar player is a guy named jeff sigmund who really good guitar player his father was uh carl sigmund wrote um like what now my love and ebb tide and stuff and i, I yeah you asked jeff like what's your father do he said well he just plays golf <laughs> you know like he'd written these monster huge tunes you know i'm like wow a songwriter can really you know do that and, and so i did that for a while but he turned me on to this uh really great guitar teacher this guy named joe monk who um he could have been a joe pass you know he was really good and um his thing was just teaching every half an hour a new student yeah. and they weren't like beginners they were all like guys like me rockers that wanted to learn jazz and pretty good players already yeah. and um just every half hour on the half hour he had another student come in i learned years later that he was like a functioning alcoholic because like halfway through your lesson he'd go in the next room and i guess take a hit you know and stuff but man his well the first thing he he the first week he taught me um misty and um <laughs> i don't really have the right sound for it but um you know like uh Would you start that again at, at that volume? Yeah, so, you know, 
uh, so he was into teaching you the chord melody thing. That and, it's and still so in your fingers. he said, for next week I want you to come up with. He, so he wrote out like um, he would write out. So that's like the chord melody head to the tune. Then he would write out like a a, a chorus of whatever he was trying to teach you. So, so I think that he he had like a double stop thing. I never heard yeah. a double stop. You know, you know that kind of yeah. thing. And uh, so he said, for, the, for next week, I want you to come up with your own solo, right? And so um, I played the tune all week, and, and I kind of, I had my rocker mentality, which I was looking at the changes as, as like, I don't know what, how I was looking at them, but I got really familiar with the tune. And um, I went back the next week, and I, and I had like the last time slot of the day. It was like... Nine thirty to ten at night or something. So he was good and wasted, you know. Oh, really? Well, he wasn't slurring or anything, but he, I, his enthusiasm might have been tempered by the fact that anyway. I went. He had this great one seventy five, this old one seventy five, and he just sounded like a million bucks on it. And um, I brought my nylon string. That was my guitar that I used for those lessons. So, you know, we played the head and. And I took a pass around, and I took a solo, and I on my nylon string. I think I was like bending notes and stuff. Yeah. And um, but I was making the changes, and you know, yeah. caught the little major sevens and stuff. And um, at the end of it, he stopped me. He went, "That's the best Misty I ever heard," you know. And yeah. and it was just total enthusiasm. But it just like jazzed me no end like that this yeah. great jazz guitar play that i was being that i could cut it on like a song that had changes and stuff so yeah. it, it like really 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 like made me that's encouraged to continue so every week he would give you um a different song like the next week was like round midnight and then you know so His i got familiar with some of the jazz standards but also things you could do on them like um that song uh you know uh all the things you are yeah. but he had this this thing like oh man that's gorgeous you know little things like that that got you thinking you know and like um yeah yeah so it was like a um starting on f minor yeah yeah 
Hennen. Wow. And you so, make it, you, you're, the way you play the reverb, it's like you don't need a backing band or a piano player because you're playing the reverb and the echo to kind of, it's like I, a second I, instrument. And I'm so used to doing it that, like, you know, you like the extension and the goop, you know, for, like, when you're volume swelling and playing lightly. But then when you go to play a line, it... It gets tricky because you don't want all this like yeah. delay, but you have a lot of delay on it. So I've sort of learned to to work with that. Um, yeah, that's a whole skill. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I used to not catch flack, but you know, some friends would like goof on the fact that I use delay on everything. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey I, it's Michael Thompson, Thompson, Thompson. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, and, and you know, while working on a record, you you would always. Uh, this H3000 is the famous H3000 that I used on every song. Is that is that for um? I, do you get chorusing out of that too, or? Yeah, I mostly most use this one patch called Micro Pitch Shift, but yeah. I it usually comes up as just uh, like a plus nine on one side, minus nine on the other side, just a detune thing. Yeah. But I was in search of. Uh, now there's pedals that do it, but I was in search of that edge thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, you should, have you seen the new Joshua pedal from Dunlop? It's it's, Joshua. it's yes, I I did just see a, MXR an they, ad. Yeah, they model it really after the edge thing with the chorus and the echoes. It it sounded really good. I mean, I have trips so many. In the house. This uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, <laughs> this Brig, which is a smaller box than the brigadier Ah, is kind of one of the closer things that i've found to um get that modulation is that an echo no it's Mm. that that's beautiful see how it's got that dark but nice uh, yeah, it's nice, all right. And then... Right, I want to play some of your stuff, too, because I can't miss her and whatever. Oh, but I was thinking of, of Earth, you know, the Michael Jackson. Oh, the Earth tune. song. Earth song. Yeah, and I got to check that out, what that even was. Yeah. I know that I played it. Uh, you know, I gotta listen to that record. I know that I I was fucking around with um, like a. Oh, you got a little Ebo going. In the whole intro to that, because Michael can't, you know, like a. And I usually it's use. Beautiful. 
what was the guitar thing underneath? Oh, dude. Um, are you hip to this vibrato pedal? The blue one? Can't quite see it, but you mean the this, boss? Yeah. Waza? The Waza craft? Yeah. You got it like. Yeah. I was wondering. So you kind of add it like. You just yeah, step on it when you, you want know, to add. It's, it became my clutch. Uh, even for, you know, all the clean stuff, I would have it like my volume yeah. pedal here and this here and like, you know. Wow. That's beautiful. Wow, you literally, when, when you say clutch, you're literally using it. Like, you look like you're yeah. driving a, a stick shift because you got the gas pedal going down with so your volume on the yeah. right, and then the clutch is the vibrato So you're, you're holding a cord, and it's just like you would waver this lightly, but that's more uniform. You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, but it, I had gotten one of these in like the late 80s or something and I never checked out the unlatch mode which is the brilliant yeah. thing about that pedal. Or is that like momentary or it's uh just while you step just on it step and on then it. there's a rise time so it's not like all of a sudden on you can control how oh. fast it comes up which is brilliant you know. Um That's cool. I had it and I deemed it too seasick. So I had thrown it in a box right in that corner. And I was watching Saturday Night Live one night. And um, the band, I don't know who they were, but the guy kept like, you know, he was back playing and then he kept stepping up to his pedal board and yeah. stepping down on something. And I heard this vibrato-y sound. And I went, that's that pedal that I have. And I came right down here and put it in unlatch mode. That's cool. Can I hear just the dry and then added the... Um, yeah, let me turn this stuff off so you can hear it a little more and it sort of works with the volume pedal oh sorry this wasn't even on that's beautiful so that's man. like you can you know adjust the rise time uh, That's great. Almost is like a human voice, you know? Is it hard to do vibrato on the string while you're using the Ebo with your fingers, or is it... Because it... You can't go very far, because it has far to stay in this track, yeah. So that's genius. That's a... That's a genius. Are you hip to that? This... Yeah, well... Oh, you are. Well, when I got my Ebo, yeah. There was a yeah, guy, was, uh, the, the, you know, the little... with a cassette tape. That's when I got mine. Right. Did you, did you see that guy with the really long hair? I think oh, they I remember were a Bay him. Area thing. And he'd sit on this stool at the NAM show playing yeah. like, I remember he played Eleanor Rigby and he had like. Yeah. 
Whatever. Shung, 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 shung. Yeah, 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 yeah. And played the whole tune, and it was unbelievable. And I was thinking, God, if I could get just good enough at a little of that, I could use it on sessions and stuff. Oh, yeah. I started using the Ebo and, of course, David Foster. Anything that was really cool like that, he just loved, you know. Oh, and man. um, But uh, so this, I, I saw him... So I was doing, there's this Josh Groban song that I was just fucking around in the intro, and I was like, whatever it was, and it had a bunch of delay and stuff. And they liked it? And they was left David it. David Foster? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's what, on the... What's the name of the song? Um, hmm. It's something on one of his first four albums, but you do hear the... I've, I've used it a few times. Yeah, that's but, cool. Uh, another act that that he liked a lot was um foster yeah that i like too is my good old jerry jones baritone oh wow that's a, not a dan electro that's actually a no and the jerry jo the dan, dan electros are good but the oh, jerry yeah. jones were great and yeah. uh, you know mesa boogie on sunset used to sell his stuff and i i have this so this guy <laughs> It sounds so good already. You're dialing it in. It's been great having Greg. Oh yeah. You know, not walking into a guitar repair place and going, well. Can you try doing it? I mean, as friends, it's like, what if we try putting a whammy on that? You know, and he's there to, to try it, you know? It's like... Yeah. Twin Peaks, man. <laughs> but I, I did get to play it with, um, you know, that was a David Lynch movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, series. We loved it and stuff. Uh, no. Um, he did a thing down at, you ever been to the Ace Theater downtown? It's this really cool theater with yeah, all yeah. this great art. By uh, the Ace Hotel, the giant. Yeah, theater. yeah. yeah. Were, David Lynch has like the David Lynch Foundation in there. Yeah. You know, really into like, transcendental meditation different stuff blah 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 and this guy um 
his the guy that wrote that uh, he's got an italian name anyway i was such a fan of that i got a baritone because of twin peaks started using you know like david was you know we'd get to the 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 bridge and he'd like how about the barry you know and be like you know something some new new arpeggio part yeah but i'd punch into the same guitar tracks but have the barry so they had this um david lynch thingy down at the ace hotel Bottolamante, Angelo Bottolamante. That that's the the writer's name. Okay. And so they're they're New York people, and they came yeah. out and they brought the the uh, their keyboard player, right? And the guy told me that that baritone tremolo sound that we all fell in love with, that blah blah blah, was a sample on a fucking emulator, and he had the emulator three there, and it's like when you hear it by itself. It's just this cheesy, it, it was called Western guitar. And Angelo had told him, how about just like a, you know, a Western sounding guitar or something? And he went, okay, Western guitar. But then it became this, you know. The, so that whole part was actually not a guitar. Well, the, I, I'm playing the top part, but it's just. Septic. I got you. You're putting, a, you're doing like a composite. Yeah, yeah, it was. Rad. But just, it's such a, like, it's a tough sound without getting in the way of the bass because it doesn't have much yeah. bass to it. But, um,. Speaking of power yeah. of love, I came into that session, and the first thing I did was um, double whatever the. Oh, really? So you're in the bass thing because he didn't like how the synth was a little too soft and it, it didn't have enough point to it. Yeah. So the before I did any guitar shit, I played the bass line to yeah. the whole thing, and that that session was cool too because it it. Um, she had done her her final beautiful vocal yeah. and it wasn't just like some scratch and stuff and so all the guitar shit we did in that session and she was there with her husband and stuff At the end of it, this engineer, Humberto Gatica, took like 20 minutes and did this, we're, we're all jazz at the yeah. end of the guitar overdub session mix, yeah. pushing stuff up, you know, having it the way we want to hear it, not let's get polite now kind of thing, right? So he made this mix and he made a dat of it and he gave it to her and, and Renee and, and um, they told ended up telling the story like at one point they 
lost the dat and they were like absolutely in a panic and they ended up finding it and stuff because after I did my thing, David tried putting like bells and whistles and all sorts of shit. In addition to what I had done and that mix that they took away from the session is what you heard that was oh, that was God. the mix but it goes the, to show you like you, so you make the guitar sound like bells on that song like i mean there's like you're like double there's like maybe yeah. octave octavized the parts a little bit yeah and i had this it wasn't a rickenbacker it was this this fucking schecter it was i guess it was designed like a like a fender 12 yeah. string kind of thing and I was carrying it around with me and stuff, and, and I ended up, uh, but I, I remember I had it at that session, and whatever that is that 12 string, and uh, I, ju I just kicked myself that I didn't buy the Jerry Jones turquoise three pickup 12 string that was at Mesa Boogie for 800 uh, bucks back in those days i, I yeah. thought about it and went, well, i already have a 12 string and stuff but anyway wow yeah so. so so but that session was like finally a chance to to do just more than a part you know it was like you know there's a clean thing and then there was the thing celine called the the slide which was <clears throat> into the last chorus Well, it's it's a Floyd yeah. going up to. Um, I had this EMG Floyd that was my guitar that I picked up for all rock stuff. Yeah, you know, I remember I had to tune it down to A flat on the A string because the song was in A flat, oh. and so I did a big, you know, yeah. into the chorus, and they just loved it. And I, I think it's mixed pretty loud. <laughs> That's the, the rockinest thing that Celine ever probably ever heard yeah, in their whole yeah. life. But she, when I saw her a month later or something like that, she said, oh, we just love the slide. And I'm like, S did I do slide? And, and I realized they were calling the, whatever that's called. So did you end up at Berkeley? Is that where you met our good friend and the genius bass player and maker of this great no, gig bag, I, Tony Vaughn? No, <laughs> I, the Tony Vaughn story is... Um, I was going to Berkeley, and then I, I went there two years, and, and then I got out, and I was playing with various funk things around Boston, and I heard that the Ellis Hall group was, was auditioning guitar players, and uh, uh, I didn't know Ellis, and I didn't know anyone in the band, and I got this guy that I knew that did know Ellis to get me an audition, and so I, I, uh, I got the gig, and I never forget him calling me going, brother man... I can tell you, you got the gig, you know, and I, I thought I'd join Earth, Wind & Fire because in Boston, it's kind of hard to to describe, to picture it now, but man, there would be a line down the block when yeah. we played, man. I mean, it was it was like the hottest band in Boston. And um, so anyway, there was there was a, another guy playing bass uh, that 
this other white guy playing bass that that ended up becoming the sound man and he ended up like teaching at berkeley and re- really good cat he he was a um uh he he used to like drive the truck and yeah i mean he's one of those yeah, guys yeah. every band has to have but he was also the bass player and he he was good but but i i jammed with tony he was playing with tony Vaughn. Uh, yeah he was uh he was playing with this artist named Millie Jackson, who's like a R&B, super raunchy. At least for in those days, it was super raunchy. Now you got oh, WAP. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you got WAP now, of, but yeah, but um, they were they were. I was opening up to them, and Tony was killing me. I mean, he sounded so good, and that was on her set, you know, and so. Uh, it was at a place called Paul's Mall, which was downstairs. There was like this little complex. There was the jazz workshop, and there in was Boston. Paul's Mall. Yeah, right on Boylston Street, and it was the place to play and stuff. And and um, so we went during the day. Like it was like a four day gig, you know. And and uh, we went down to to in the club. They let us in, and we jammed. I, I took the ba- the drummer from the Ellis Hall group. And me and Tony Vaughn, and we had like a, you know, just a wild playing your ass off jam kind of thing, and that's when the seed got there. Like we got to get him in the band kind of thing, you know. Yeah, man. And and Fred, you know, that the other guy was really cool about it. He moved over to sound, and Tony moved up from New York. That's what I was saying. Um, that move was like you know those things you do in your life that that affect the whole rest of your life kind of thing yeah because he lived in new york city and he was playing with millie jackson yeah now he's still in boston yeah he stayed and and you probably know more about his life since then than i do because he's been Mm -hmm. he hasn't been real reach out you know kind of guy but I love oh, man, him. He is such a cool cat. He makes these beautiful gig bags, which you can check out on TonyVon.com. But just the most monster musician, uh, like uh, his solo music is is really. He had me play on a couple songs because I I did I met him doing a musical in Boston. Like oh, so you years spent ago. time living in Boston? No, I, me, my buddy. You flew in. He brought me out there for a week, and we did this thing. Yeah. And you, was, so did you have to read a bunch of stuff? It was a musical that we wrote. Oh. The other Tony, we wrote the. Uh, Tony was uh, the musical director and, and chief composer. Tony Doritas. Oh, and he's the head of music at Northeastern University, and we did this musical score, and and he hired the best players he could find, and Tony Vaughn was there on bass. Wow, and it was really cool. So you guys hit it off, and you've oh, stayed yeah. in touch. Yeah, I played some tracks at home over to put send to him. Wow. And uh, he's just such a deep cat and great musician and composer, man. As a composer, but he, he also sent me uh, one of your songs that you guys did. Um, Back then? Oh. With um, Ellis Hall. She's a lover. She's a lover. <laughs> it's got like a cool percussion break in it, too. Yeah.
You know, we cut this album up at the studio that our manager's friend owned, this place called Music Designers, that was right next to Berkeley. And the Brecker brothers were friends with, um, with this studio owner guy, and they were in town playing at that place, the Jazz Workshop, for, for a weekend, right? And we had cut a whole album, and um, they got the Breckers to come and, and play on, on, like Mike no took way. five tunes, and Randy took five tunes, and they did their great Brecker horn things and like doubled themselves or whatever. And I got to sit there and watch the Brecker brothers play on our shit, and it, it brought the level of the tunes and the, and the you know, the production, everything way up we should have just released the record then which people would be doing now but then it was like holding out for the big record deal in the sky and stuff and our manager we yeah. we ended up getting a record deal out this here. is the ellis hall yeah so did you is that what brought you out here i and had been planning on moving out here anyway since you were a kid uh, since i was a kid but also in the ellis hall group we had a very um naive idea that we were going to be stars and so that last year that i was in boston because i was in the band four years i started to see the writing on the wall that not that the band wasn't great but but it's just like i gotta get to la and i gotta do the same so it 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 sort of worked out that we got this deal with this guy norman connors who um was with cbs and he had gotten like a four four uh, album deal thing with CBS and and he came to see us in New England and signed the band and we came out here and basically cut the same exact album we had already done in Boston and they had a few like uh, LA uh, session background singers on it and stuff but it was basically the band and stuff did you know Jeff Lockhart mm. yeah he's another great guitar player from back then they had already gotten him to replace me, so Jeff came out and we, you know, um, both did it. But that album never ended up coming out. But I was here; I had moved, you know. Yeah, you and so to. the talk was like, "Well, when we go on the road, I'll just meet you guys in, you know, Germany." And yeah. of course, how many bands have you been in? We're like, "But what happens when we go on the road? You know, what, yeah. what are you going to do? You know?" And and I I ran into that again. Um, out here in the late 80s uh i had started writing tunes with this singer session singer this guy named tommy funderburg great singer and and we wrote a couple of good tunes and he already had the elusive record deal with rca there was this in our woman there that loved him and and had all but offered him a deal if he just put a band together kind of thing and so i had been trying for years to get a record deal you know showcases and madame wong's and a couple of different singers and and stuff and cutting demos down at that studio uh in redondo that i told you about which was great because we were yeah. able to have these really good quality you know demos and stuff and and um so anyway i had gotten like a little just disenchanted with getting that record deal in the sky you know and you kept seeing people get signed and like this is the new yeah. this is the new big thing you know cock robin or whatever the hell and it's like we're not going to chase that shit you know and and so um i when i finally got a record deal it was uh, it was because this manager 
this guy named Alan Niven got us the record deal. And he got us the record deal because he became manager of a little group called Guns N' Roses. He was just this... He had a him. band called Great White. Yeah. Who were like his kids. You know, they also rehearsed down at... I mean, they also recorded down at Wynn Studio. It was like us, Great White, and Dokken. We were the three that were always in there, you know. And... um so Alan was just a, a you know a guy scuffling around town with this band. I think they were called Dante Fox then, Great White, and um, his wife was the secretary of this guy Tom Zutat, who was the who was a real you know like um, up and coming guy at Geffen. Like he, I remember yeah. he came from some radio station where he picked like nine out of ten hits or something. you know he's one of those guys that could find yeah. a hit and i remember he had been down to see the band a couple of times and came close to signing us and it was like what does it take to actually get signed you know it was yeah. very frustrating you know it was, you know it's like that's one of the good things i mean there's no money now which which sucks but that's the good thing about now the freedom of just release it you know you yourself and yeah and and but and then you were totally it, under you know that that thing of like how do we get a deal what do they want you know and oh ron fair passed on us we must suck you know it's like fuck that you know and so anyway it was funny that by the time alan became so so uh guns and roses had this woman that was managing them just some sunset boulevard bullshit and the first thing when Tom Zutat signed them to Geffen that, that they did was get rid of that woman. So they didn't give a shit who at that point who their manager yeah. was and stuff. So Tom placed Allen as their manager, you know, so yeah. he's the new manager of Guns N' Roses. And uh, they ended up having to buy him out for like $5 million and stuff. He, oh, he was their manager for a few years and stuff. But um, <laughs> anyway, after all those years of trying to get a record deal, uh, Allen came to me and said, okay... I've got two deals, one's with Atlantic, one's with Geffen. Which one would, would you prefer? You know, because he was that haughty English kind of. Um, nice choice to have, though. Flabbergasted. And, and Geffen was, uh, I mean, Atlantic. Yeah, who do you go with? But Geffen was the hip album. You know, Peter Gabriel's yeah. album had been on and stuff. And so we went with Geffen, and we did an album, and, and it was... Uh, um, you know that that yeah. first MTV album, yeah. and Moon and I did it, and didn't really think that much about it because we knew we didn't want to do another album with this guy. The bad news was Alan wanted was going to be the producer. Not only yeah. did he get us a record deal, he thought he was Mutt Lang. You know, right? He got you know okay, you know, just sort of gut ideas and stuff. But he was not a producer, at all. but he was running it like an iron-fisted this is how you know i remember we wrote a song called fade into black and we were jazzed on it and stuff and because we got the deal and, and after all these years of cutting demos and stuff we actually didn't have enough tunes we needed another couple of tunes so i got out there and wrote with a guy uh mark spiro that that we wrote can't miss and and wasteland and and uh another guy who passed away a couple of years ago john lind we wrote the song fade into black anyway we make a demo and we bring it down to the studio and alan goes we shan't record it as is and I'm like what what are you talking about we love this and he's like far too negative 
let me go in the next room and I'll come up with something, right? You wanted some songwriting credit? Oh, yeah. And so he, he goes in the next room for five minutes, comes back. I've got it. So the song's fading to black. Got it. Baby, come back. <laughs> oh, like we haven't heard that before, you know? And so that's how it went on our album. It didn't suck. Baby, come back nothing more to say but it was oh, cooler before and and so he kind of fucked with all our songs yeah, you gotta like go that, for you know? the the right thing like aerosmith famously came up with dude looks like a lady and um but they thought that was too weird and me i guess that was when they saw vince neal from motley crew maybe on the bar oh, really i think wow anyway they saw somebody that they thought initially was female so like but then they thought that was too weird, so they changed it to Cruisin' for the Ladies. And then Desmond Child came in and met them for the first time, and he's like, that is the most generic lyric ever, Cruisin' wow. for the Ladies. And he like shaking them and pushing them, and they finally admitted that it was, dude looks like a lady. Wow. And he's like, now that is edgy. That is actually a cool lyric. And of course, that was a pretty shaking good hit for them. For the yeah. I know. Yeah. So, you, you know, you learn from all these things. And I'm slamming that guy, but we wouldn't have had that deal yeah. if it weren't for him. And he, he, you know, it was just when when there's like that, that yin-yang, you know, the good yeah. stuff, but then it's outweighed by the fact that, you know, this guy's running it like a, you know, maybe Great White responded to that, but everything was like the negative kind of thing. Like, I remember he put a 20 down on the board and said, here's to that you won't get it this path. You know, I'd be doing like passes oh, of a guitar solo. That's it's like, does not, that motivate your guys? That's in that not end? encouraging. No, no. So it was, so we didn't want to do another album with him. So, oh, you got that, that little thing I down. I remember Wow, I wonder if I wonder if I remember it. Such a cool lick. That's it, it that was that, that cool was like your single that was, you know, had some success. Yeah, you know. Um, Can't miss. Yeah, because I I do you know a guy named Mark Spiro, good know. songwriter. Kind of back then he was writing with, with like, you know, he wrote co-wrote with like John Wade and yeah. and uh, Bad English and and. You know, a few of those rock groups, he was like the perfect guy to write with them sort of thing. Yeah. And um, so I had been doing his demos, like playing on his songs, and I really liked his songs. And uh, when we needed more songs, I'm like, I got to write a song with Mark, see if he'll write a song with me. And I had that riff, you know, we we made the demo. And the tone is great, even on the, the live record you guys have. Live oh. in live in Italy. Oh yeah, and then we started with that. But it was it's funny when you play a song for you know thirty years and you have to like come back.
the rubberneck. TC chorus. You know they yeah. make that again? Yeah. But the one like from the eighties. Yeah, it's a new paint job, right? Yeah, it's it's the new TC. New TC bought them. It's it's like a buck fifty. Yeah. That was my chorus in the eighties. Now what I, do you? That's what I would split two amps with. Now this live album you did. Like you get the best chorus live too. Like, is what are you doing nowadays? I think like on Love and Beyond, in the um, in the verse section of the song, you're you know so relaxing. Um, you're running stereo, I imagine. And man, I'm just doing everything. Uh, yeah, some of some of the stuff I hear are two guitars. But like on the live stuff, is did you overdub on there? I mean, a lot of people um, do, but you know, or is it just yeah, one guitar that's in stereo? It, no, it's um, on that um, live DVD. Uh, I added some guitars here. Hopefully they were tasteful. Oh yes. You know the main part. The thing that was good is like the main part that you're hearing is what yeah. I played that night. Yeah. But but it needed some little beef here and there. And, and that's I, called High Times Live in Italy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. With my little uh, Van Halen rip. Oh yeah. This chorus and this other one. So that was the, that was the TC electronic chorus. Yeah. Um, this yeah. Is a Japanese company called uh, Free the Tone. Yeah. That um, I bought one of their I bought their their um, compressor and it was like really stupidly expensive. It was like four hundred bucks or something. And um, the guys at Mesa Boogie sent sent them a picture of me like holding their compressor. And they were jazzed that I bought it and stuff. And so they sent me this chorus. And um, that's great. A few different things. Yeah. Um, I need more power, Captain. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Sorry, anyway, you can show me the, the chorus. I'm just... But uh, you were going to show me that um, chorus pedal. Oh, yeah. Free the tone. I noodle on the guitars while you change cables. Nice. 
then Let's get this. Bunch of... Yeah, get all those flavors. Are you using that constable thing stereo into a? Uh, no, this is just uh, mono. Oh, that's a different. That's so not the. So this was my board for like a live gig. So the power amp is stereo. Yeah. But the. And all these are stereo, so it's, you know, you're getting. But all that your, Kingsley thing is like the Marshall front. That's, yeah, that's just a preamp sound. You said it has two in there. Or? Yeah, so it has the two different sides that you yeah. can make. But it doesn't have tubes in there. Yeah. Or it does it like? It does. Yeah. Ah, you can't see any. They always like to show them off, usually, if they have them. Usually, they put a... Oh, this does have a little uh, grating thing on the side. A little, a little vent. And you use a Fryette stereo power amp. Yeah. The, 50 it's, watts it's per side. Synergy. Oh, it's Synergy. Yeah. Synergy stereo power amp. That's pretty cool, man. What a, that'd be a fun rig to have. What kind of cabinets do you run for your stereo sound on stage? Um, like two two one by twelves or two? yeah two one twelves uh, that yeah. that that are good. They're sort of like oversized one twelves that this Italian company had sent me years ago, and I painted them with all this yeah. acrylic paint. And they have like one has an Alnico gold and one has a cream back, and uh, they're open back. And um, the last couple of gigs, instead of putting them up where I can kind of catch some i've been uh. putting them on the ground and getting the both gigs had good pas so i yeah. you know and i really like that having them on the ground and yeah for years i've been you know having it in my ear but it's just well you've you've got you've got 300 pedals you know what <laughs> over the years i got really good i mean you've probably done the same thing you get really good at troubleshooting because your life depends yeah. on it, you know. Yeah. Like, why we, you know, it's usually why am I getting no sound? Most of the time, I've never. It's because I haven't yet plugged the cable into the guitar. It's usually that's or something's one. out like an eighth of an uh. inch, and that's why it is great to have a, a good tech and stuff. But yeah. it's also cool to do it yourself and be, you know, aware of where every yeah. wire is and stuff. It's, it's just, oh yeah yeah. <laughs> That was so out, like, uh... Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. No, yeah, I was the, obsessed with that song. Yeah, the bass player's doing a minor third, and and the edge is still going. And it would be wrong the other way if he went to the major third. Yeah, there, right. It'd be, it'd be, I know, and because it was like that, it, it made it that cool. Oh yeah, it's like. He didn't know any better. Like sometimes a little education can be dangerous. I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge Edge fan. In the Memphis sky, we are. 
all the singing I'll do. Did you play on Change My Heart with uh, Change the World? Change the World with Eric yeah. Clapton? Yep. That's nuts. Did, well, my famous chord. Here's. the whole tune and so you're playing electric uh, on there or yeah it's kind of underneath this? yeah playing... and there's even like dean we babyface got the demo and it was really good demo um this guy gordon kennedy and and um bass player uh tommy sims you know their demo was great and yeah. um like the night before i came in dean came in because kenny hadn't learned it yet and and he played to a like a click and then jr came in and put some drums on it and then i came in the next day and i did uh a couple of electrics and and um i remember kenny saying that he was gonna redo nothing dean played but but he wanted to be on it and stuff so i think what kenny is babyface right yeah so so I know he's on there and and then Clapton of course yeah. is doing that on a on yeah. acoustic and um I remember I even got my dobro out and I, and there was like this um this little one little part I think it's back there somewhere yeah. um you know that's so it was cool. I mean it, there's a great you know, there's a concert too right where Eric's playing with you cats Yeah that was really <laughs> that was quite a a thing like we rehearsed 30 days straight like uh and running the set and eric showed up for a sound check the day of no. basically <laughs> basically yeah well, he's doing one or two stevie songs. wonder also was on that show and he rehearsed a couple of times with oh, us man. which of course was a thrill that was that was quite a and it came out really good and it shows you what like a lot of rehearsing will do it's a lot of artists i don't know if you've noticed it it's like they're um, kind of insecure and want to rehearse a lot. I mean, which is understandable. Yeah. I would, gonna... but Babyface really did. And uh, yeah, I remember a... doing this. Uh, I was the MD for this BMI awards dinner like 
five years and um one year it was a tribute to uh crosby stills and nash and so we were doing um a tune southern cross and and greg allman was the guest artist you know it's great to meet him so yeah. very you know in then i mean that was i mean he he died a couple of years later and stuff but but he was a very quiet sort of gentle guy and stuff but he wanted to run that tune like 10 times you know what i mean yeah. it sounded great the, the first time and stuff but yeah i noticed it's like people even as seasoned as greg allman is and stuff it's yeah. like you know well you know you're out of a different breed you know you're, you guys you session pros are you know i like to rehearse having, a lot i like to really know yeah. the shit but i i've noticed that with artists and sting was another one that um uh, you know, we did this uh, corporate gig, a McDonald's corporate gig, the David Foster band backing him up. But we rehearsed for like a couple hours before he even showed up. It was in Orlando. And um, and then we, we, we did, it was so great. I, I got to do like my seven favorite police sting songs. Oh, you know, God. Message in a Bottle, Every Breath You Take, uh, you know, Fields of Gold, um, you know, uh, um, we weren't going to do Message in a Bottle. We were going to do um, Every Time I Lose My Faith. We are going to do Every Time I Lose My Faith. And we're running it, and it sounded perfect. And Sting's going, something's just not sitting right with this, you know. And, and you know, you got the best players in the world right there. And he said, how about Message in a Bottle? And I jumped right on it because I know <laughs> it. You know, a couple yeah. of the other guys didn't really know it. But... But he was he was so concerned with the with the drum intro, which all it was was blat and blat and blat and blat and blat and blat did a lint dent dent bomb But he yeah. didn't have a way he he didn't express it to Jr. John Robinson, who was a drummer. And but I had been actually listening to live police shit, you yeah. know, and and um, and so right before that we did the set. He called John to his. They had like these little, you know, um, tent things for for the artists, and and uh, I had the live when when the police reformed uh, thing on my iPod, you know, and I said, well, because he he said, do you have that intro? And I said, well, well, this is how you guys were doing it with Stuart. He said, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> him and Stewart, man, what's, they have some I know friction. it's rubbish, and it was. It, I guess his drummer had been uh, Josh Freeze or something at that point. But that blat and blat and blat and blat and blat, dent dent dent, you know. Yeah. And it came off great. And oh, you know, yeah. there's this harmony part that's like um, to the uh, message in the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the harmony. I know that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you have anyone there to play that? that yeah, night? Dean Parks was there. Oh, so and, um, what a band. And so Dean, of course, wrote it down. You know, Sting came over and showed it to him. I didn't know it. Because you can kind of barely hear it on the record. Yeah, you can hear parts of it. But yeah. I, I played that the other night at the Whiskey at this the jam that they had there called Ultimate Jam Night. Oh. It's not really a jam. You pretty much play the songs straight through the way that they're 
Is does someone run the thing? Yeah, Chuck Wright is the uh, oh mean dude. Yeah, if you ever want to come. player for Quiet Riot. Yep. Good guy. Yeah, it's it's fun. Everyone comes and plays a couple songs or whatever. Do you play a couple songs or do yeah, you play more than that? I played two that night. Well, that night, every once in a while, I'll do the house band, and then you actually get paid, like you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know it's just for it's fun. It's a play, great yeah. Tuesday night, and the whole place is always packed. Wow. It's amazing that the whiskey is still there. Yeah, it's you know it's it's survived every you know everything. It's a great way to make musical friends. You just meet so many other musicians because everyone comes and plays a couple songs. So there's always like yeah, forty musicians on the bill, maybe thirty. It's great. So who goes there to those things? Well, there's a lot of young people, right? Yeah. Well, most of them are younger than us now, but. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, people. It's all all ages, and um, it's free. So you also get like a tourist crowd of people who are visiting LA. Like, hey, let's go the to the whiskey. whiskey. Yeah, it's free the admission. Can, yeah, and it's it's a fun hang. But um, Man. so I was listening to that song, and I but I couldn't quite hear the whole harmony of that part. Like yeah. you said, the only parts of it stick out. If you have trouble again, <laughs> there is uh, Sting. Well, Sting has a, a yeah, probably stems has an album that's been out for a couple of years called My Songs. He's re-recorded them with his band that he has now. And it's yeah. really easy to hear one guy playing that one part on one side. And yeah. The other one was like mono mixed together or something, you know, and not very yeah. loud on the on Man, the, I, I, lo- I love those guys. You know, I, I used to play the DJ guy, a great DJ named um, Miguel Miggs. He's a good friend. And he would get these crazy gigs, and we played at this festival. We were like in more of like a, one of the tents, but the big stage was Amy Winehouse, and then the Beastie Boys, and then the Police. Like wow. right, right when they had reformed, like ten years ago. Yeah. Or was it like fifteen? Fifteen years ago. Yeah. And so I'm like standing on the side of the stage watching the Police. Like not, I'm not wow. hearing the PA. Sorry. So you were playing like the, with I'm who? I'm hearing Miguel Miggs. Um, he's a DJ and artist composer. It's like kind of like soul house. It's like it's uh, house music. Yeah, but it's got always it's has like fun. a great soul singer, a couple soul singers on every song. So, oh, so it's it's really you know. You play mostly rock sound on that. No, no, no. Like funky. Like I remember one part because because he would do the same thing with me. He'd uh, he'd get the loop going, and then you know he'd just choose a couple bars. I remember the. The one I remember playing. Nice. I, I did that with a wah-wah pedal, but yeah, no, it was that kind of shit. Yeah. So, this is the Virgin Music Festival, though. They had like all these different bands, and yeah, it was just really cool to stand the on the side because I had the bat. Even though we were on a much smaller stage. Yeah. I had that laminate, and I'm on the side of the stage at the monitor desk watching yeah. the fucking police. And hearing like Stewart's raw crack of his drum, not through the PA, like you're hearing the real drum yeah, right there. That must have been a cool, thrilling. And it was cool, and like Sting, man, what a rock star! I mean, you just look at the guys, like that guy is. I I got goosebumps. Prototype rock star. <laughs> when we did that show, I was like, it, it, during every breath you take, I'm I'm playing it and like looking at the back of Sting's head and his bass. <laughs> you know, it's like that uh, iconic. Didn't know I would ever be seeing that. Yeah, I've gotten to play tunes with people. That's sick. That it's just Bill Collins. Yeah, and the original 
artists like like you know with david foster we did this andre agassi benefit for like 15 years i think up at mgm and it, it was a big deal it was open to the public but then there'd be the high rollers that would be down there and he would have he raised so much money over the years but he'd have the david foster band a lot of times with strings and horns i mean full full everything and um you know they'd have a big you know they'd have faith hill and like billy joel yeah. and um uh, you know tears for fears and i mean all on the same show and then the next year they'd have five headliner you know and so oh, yeah. over the years i got to play with a lot of these people That's i even got to play um because they were walking out on stage ah what a great band That was another thing. I'm on stage playing Everyone Wants to Rule the World with Tears for Fears, seeing those two guys. I think they had just started talking to get to each other again after not oh, speaking oh. to each other for they, 10 years or something. They are a great but, band. Um, I would pay money to go watch them. Yeah. They have great, great catalog. But, um, you know, like this other show, the Yamaha show, I did that for about five years. And, and um, one, one show, they had Al Green on it. And I'm doing Let's Stay Together oh, with man. Al Green, you know. Oh, I was about to play Love and Happiness. Um, so. It's great, I like it. but I like it was it. like one of those things. It's like, what are those chords? You know, it's, like, it's like people sneak that, that two. It's like a two five to the D minor, I guess. But the E, the E minor sounds like it's out of the key, right? Y yeah. Yes. That's a. That's a yesterday thing. Yesterday does that too, you know? Yesterday. E right. But it does do that A7. Ah, yeah. wanted to go major that one time 
Man, these pickups are great. They're really quiet, too. I mean, they're single coil, but they're, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And I, I was going to be sure to mention my experience working with Mutt Lang because, you know, I don't want to be this guy that's saying, hey, you know, there's only a few guitar players that have, you know, gotten a chance to work with that guy, yeah. like intensely, you know. And um, so anyway, I did like 18 days with Mutt and stuff that's like incredible. that. And if I did anyone that doesn't know, John Mutt Lang, the famed producer of... The biggest Def Leppard cars, ACDC, and of course his wife, Shania Twain, and you were doing those records, right? Yeah, I was doing her Up album. Yeah. And uh, we're all like, you know, bowing to Mutt Lang because he's just, and he's been such a reclusive, and he's like a, a very friendly guy and loves chatting and stuff, but he just doesn't dig having his picture taken, doesn't dig being around a, a lot of people and stuff. And, and uh, I had talked to Dan Huff because uh, he was the guy before me. He was the what Mike, Mike uh, Mutt calls the grease, you know, the grease guy, you know. And, um, you and he's using a lot of, you know, Brent Mason and those guys and stuff. But um, I did a, a, a tune with Brian Adams in like, I think it was like 97 or something. He did a duet with Barbara Streisand, you know. And he gets out his... his um, laptop or whatever or his phone or something he said hey man can i get your number mutt would love you and i'm like wait so brian adams is getting your number to give to, John to mutt lang. lang you know and it's like <laughs> this is too much and stuff and so um the next album came and went and i didn't get a call that was like come on over and uh man i feel like a woman and dan did that yeah. one you know and uh and Dan had told me, he said, you know, we were, he said I was good enough friends with Mutt that I could say it, but like, you know, it was like the, you know, 16th hour of working with him and, and uh, I was playing this part over and over again. And he said, I just turned to Mutt and he said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> you know, and, and he totally understood and stuff like that. And so that's, I guess, how I, I got the opportunity to, um, for, for it to come my way, but, um, the funny thing was that, like, I I wasn't sure who recommended me to him because I got home and yeah. there was a message on my answering machine and it was like, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but it's like, it was back yeah. when the message machine still had a little tape. Yeah. Somewhere in my house, there's this little mini tape that has this message. And he was like, uh, Michael, uh, I suck at doing a Rhodesian accent, but... Uh, <laughs> We're, uh, 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 I wondered if you'd be interested in working with me on my wife's album. <laughs> well, let me think, you know, he said, yeah. I, of, he, then it totally like gentlemanly and, and not like, hey, maybe I'll give you a try. So-and-so recommended you. He said, you know, of course, I've been aware of you for quite some time. It's like, Mutt Lang's aware of me? No, this is crazy, you know, and, and, yeah. um. I called him back, and it's like, hey, when, when can we start? And I said, well, I happen to be going to Italy to do this guy Adriano Celentano's album, who's a big, uh, just a national 
treasure in Italy, you know, starting in the 60s and stuff. He he said, great, we'll come to you. So, like, after I did 10 days with this guy, Chalentano, uh, Mutt had booked this studio in Milan that was... um, uh, it wasn't a great studio. It was like a 70s studio kind of thing. I think the guy that owned it had been in a big Italian rock band and stuff. Anyway, it worked for us. And and so yeah. uh, I remember talking to my wife the night before the session. I hadn't met Mutt yet and stuff. And out of all the people I'd worked with and all the confidence I had and all the, you know, nothing phased me and stuff, I'm like, man, what if he doesn't like me, you know, kind of thing. It's like he's got the whole week booked for me, you know, like what what if we don't click kind of thing. And I was used to it clicking. I mean, I wouldn't have had a very good career if it didn't and stuff. But I I was still, I (laughs) I wanted it to go great so so bad. So so the next day we hit it and um, I spend like hours and I'm, I, I was totally expecting the long hours. So that wasn't a shock, but but they were even longer than I thought they'd be. And and so uh, first song went pretty well and we're like outside the studio at three in the morning. And he said, great, uh, what time tomorrow morning? And I'm like thinking, oh man, I gotta go to- 11.59 a.m. <laughs> well, I said, how about 11? Yeah. And he said, oh, okay. And the engineer was just, the, this guy Kevin Shirko and me and Mutt and and the engineer pulled me aside and he said thank you if it had been up to him (laughs) he would have said eight o'clock in the morning you know and and so you know we did it 11 and stuff and and um it, it it was basically like spending a whole big 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 long day on one song you know at least get to have any like three-hour classic like Italian lunches in the afternoon yeah except he's a vegan and so we the food was a problem because he and Shania whose real name is Eileen I'm like there and everyone's calling her Eileen I'm going who that was Eileen and she ripped off the name from this chick in her high school she really liked the the thing yeah. and she wasn't involved with the sessions at all except for coming in once a day with this bright green wheatgrass shake that like mutt drank that's how he goes from working eight hours a day to working like 16 hours a day uh, shake i guess so (laughs) except it's it tasted exactly like you were drinking the lawn yeah it was hideous you've been to erewhon right Uh, well (laughs) i i took one tiny sip and i went okay this is not for me but mutt guzzled it and and the engineer you know i guess begrudgingly drank drank them and stuff but she she wasn't involved in the process and and actually it, it was kind of late into the project for, for them uh, this guy mike shipley who's since passed on uh was mixing in the next room so so he had this old schoolhouse that he had a proper like mix room studio and then i was just set up in a like a school room with my yeah. speaker in the next room and That's um cool. yeah and so uh Anyway, we we got a rapport going, and um, he was spending less and less time. Like, like the first week, I it was sort of cramped, and I had all my stuff, and we're in this studio, and there's a couch behind me, and I'd hear like with yeah. him with one of my guitars doing yeah. something like that, 
and I went, okay, that's the next part he's going to want me to try, you know, because his thing then was like, because yeah. I, I came in and I was, I always suspected that he played guitar on the things, but he never credits himself. He credits himself with background vocals, but not, not guitar. So I come in and there's like a wall of guitars, not, not like really in your face, but, but parts, you know, and, yeah. and, um, I said, wow, man, so, so you played these guitars and, and and he said uh yeah and he takes like weeks and weeks to do them and uh, he's i said why don't you just do all the guitar why don't you just do all the guitars and he said i ain't got the grease like you mate and he's like ah, oh, the grease so he gets a guy to do the yeah. up front sort of like the stuff dan was doing the stuff Make that he wanted me good. to do and and so um it went you know well that in seven days i think we got seven tunes you know and the last day he's um he's on the phone behind me because he would call he has a couple of friends that he chats with a lot brian adams huey lewis mm -hmm. uh a couple of other people and 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 so anyway he's he's saying I'm, I'm out of the corner of my ear i hear him saying um uh yeah he's really as good as you said he is and He's made my demos sound like records, and I'm like, oh, jeez, this is like rock and roll <sighs> fantasy. Oh, my and gosh. and he gets off the phone. He said, oh, actually, that was Brian, Brian Adams. He's the one that recommended you. Yeah. And I went, wow, from six years ago or whatever that was when he took my number, he actually yeah. did, you know, give it to him. And um, I started this whole big long mutt story to say that. Uh, then I went to Switzerland uh, a few weeks later and did like another ten days and and um, at the at the end of almost the whole thing he said, so you basically just play pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yeah, I guess I do, you know, and and like what you were saying, you know, uh, and and it, I would always be trying to make something sound beautiful or pretty or I wasn't the guy to call for edgy angular. Uh, punk rock chords and stuff. although i'm a rocker and i i will oh yeah get you nasty with the best of them and it was really cool on the credit list he he said michael thompson and his magical guitar orchestra which i thought was really cool because i was doing sounds and things and and he really liked that of course and what was the name of that record again up oh yeah just like 2003 or four or something That's my Ricky right there. Oh, that's that Rickenbacker right there. Yeah. It's about as bad as it could be. Seems everybody's bugging me. Like nothing wants to go my way. Yeah, it just ain't been my day. Nothing's coming easily. Even my skin is acting weird. I wish that I could grow up. So we would have spent like, you know, half an hour on that yeah. that part. Then it's like the verse. Yeah. So okay. and you know, a lot of us who have never done the level of session work that you you and very few other people have done, you could have saved some gigs for the rest of us, you guys. But no, <laughs> that was for my buddy Todd. He wanted me From to tell what? you, my buddy Todd. He's like, oh, our guitar tech. He's like, tell him to save some gigs for the rest of us. Well, but anyway, <laughs> what it, I want to know. Oh, what do I want to know? I forgot. Oh, well, so you guys, we always have this, like for me, I always hear people talk about like, oh yeah, that was a first take, you know, I was just tuning up and 
But it doesn't always go like that. It's no. kind of nice sometimes to hear about Mutt Lang spending a whole day on a guitar part yeah, for a song. Yeah, and, and what you know, it part. wasn't beating you up over playing correctly or anything like that. He was looking for that passion, that emotion, that one pass that had the grease yeah. that the other pass didn't have. So uh, what he would do is just leave um, Pro Tools in loop record yeah. and... Um, like I said, what did you do before loop record? Like before Pro Tools, like with with Led with a Led Zeppelin with Def Leppard. He yeah. said we literally be sitting in the control room with tape on our laps and a scissors and doing it like that. So creating so actual this, loops. You know, yeah. So Pro, Pro Tools was perfect for him, and um, yeah, yeah. So what what you do is like you know you'd be playing. Um, whatever like if it's a part like yeah. that and um he'd rec he'd record like what felt like five minutes of it of just the just, most simplest part right and he uh, it, i remember this one you know getting done with like one of those where he let it just go and i was playing the verse part over and over and um he said give, give me a minute and then he sat down and he put together the most killer pass and then a killer double all shit yeah. you played but um he remembered that like 11 times back you had a good like you know it, yeah. what is all this anyway he would put together these killer passes i'm off yeah. the mic that like he remember yeah. he would remember the the cool stuff you did the even on like a little twiddle and um so that's what he yeah. he does so that's why he would have it loop so much the not oh, i was picturing like when i heard about the hours and stuff i thought oh man you know he's gonna beat you up and and just make you play it over and over which we all know can just drive the life out of anything you know but but you're into it and you're playing yeah. because someone's not stopping you you know and it's just yeah that's how i, I kind of you know hopefully you, you learn uh get little things from from the different people you work with but shit now do you get residuals still from like say a huge song like the power of love's talk about pretty guitar celine dion yeah mega song yeah like how does it work on the a-list session level is it a one-time fee you don't you just don't ever get like i know there's companies out there that go search for money for musicians and maybe yeah. and they take like a 10 percent or whatever they yeah. find you royalties for or mechanicals i mean do you get yeah. any of that stuff on a big yeah. hit song or is it just i mean i the, the the assumption that a lot of you know just people that aren't in the business is that like if you played on something you somehow have a cut of it you know but but it yeah. like what you're describing kind of is a little cut it's it's you know there's this thing out of england called ppl that collects money there, yeah. there's a bunch of them you know yeah. they were the first ones to get in touch with me um and they went like a really roundabout way. I had done this ad in Guitar Player for um, the BuzzFeed and tuning system. So my mug was there. And um, they got in touch with this guy, Alan Wald, who was um, uh, the partner with Buzzy and Greg Bach, you know, to find out my phone number, you know, or, or, or email number yeah. I get. And um, they got in touch with me and they said, we're holding 11,000 pounds for you, you know. And... 
it's the first I had heard of any collection agency like that. Yeah. None of the, the musicians were talking about that. And I think I was the first one in town. Yeah. A good collection agency. A great they, one. <laughs> they're collecting for you. Collect. They already collected. They had that 11,000. So we had to go back and forth a bit to for me to prove who I was and stuff. But sure enough, it was yeah. like 17,000 bucks or something. And, and what, um, what was that for? Like that was various... for like... It turned out that was only for like nine records, because um, they used their website used to be very hard to get into and yeah. figure out what was paying and stuff. And and so over these years since then, that was like twenty years ago or something. Uh, they add in little by little, they add in more. But but the U.S. wasn't doing that. It was like all these other countries that were participating in that thingy and so the money was from them i believe the u.s is now and uh it's it's a anytime you can get mailbox money it's a beautiful yeah. thing you know but so you, um yeah. but it, it was like because it's not you, publishing it's not no writers. it's just it's because just, you played on it what is what is that category and you got credit it's like a special payments fund for it, it's a royalty of sorts yeah for performing it's a performance royalty uh i would have never known about it and and so i told uh i told two friends and they told two friends and before i knew it like everyone in town had gotten in touch with them and had a lot of them had money waiting for them and stuff yeah that's very cool so you could have money waiting for you yes just give us 10 percent or whatever five percent yeah i don't don't even know know what the the thing i don't think it's worth it they take it now there's this gig of because I've, I've talked to two of these yeah. people that do this for you of finding your money. These yeah. people that do it, that's and they do take yeah, like like uh, oh, this one woman. She was very nice, and she went into their you know database and stuff and said, "I think I can find you more money and stuff." And they look in other territories, the Netherlands. They look in all. the couch cushions and stuff, you know. Uh, under, yeah, underneath really. The throw rugs and um. <laughs> Well, I want to come back someday and yes. and, uh, <laughs> and we hear just more play. about these We sessions. won't even have to record or anything. Oh no, I know. gotta get some more stories. Oh, I got them. Just let me know when I'm boring you or oh, repeating. Well. No, I'm keeping you here all day, but I appreciate it. Thanks for. I love all. that we gave me something to do today. Yeah, all day I podcast. Tell you my life now is like. You know, someone sends me a tune to do every now and then, and I do it. And you know, I haven't been booking any gigs, and I gotta, I gotta like drive myself to. You know, every time I go to, I should book a baked potato gig and stuff. And then it's like, yeah, but then I gotta get the guys and get rehearsal and then oh, yeah. do the. I I, you know, this last gig I did was with um, it was out on Catalina, out on the island of Catalina, and it's with this thing. I might have told you about this thing called the Jazz oh, yeah, yeah. Holdouts. Yeah. The audience was unreal. These people that take the ferry out there to see these, they're just like, when I looked, when I opened my eyes at the end of Europa and saw everyone standing up, like uh, a standing ovation, you know? I do that on that's all That's killer. I but wanna, yeah, no, it was, it was incredible, but... Um, video. You know, I, I the, on that gig, um, a gig with a drummer I've never drum- gig with before, and it's this guy Jonathan Moffitt. Oh my God, Sugarfoot! Yes, Sugarfoot. That was Michael Jackson's 
favorite drummer. Which yeah, which I wondered about that name, and he he told me it's like you know he's from New Orleans, and uh, he was coming up, and he was a young lad and stuff, and he joined this band. I guess he, he you know, they were the hot band or something like that, and everyone had a nickname, and uh, <laughs> like the leader named him Sugarfoot, and he said he didn't like it at first. You know, he didn't want that name and stuff. Uh, yeah. That's how he became Sugarfoot. I was telling you, Ellis turned me into MT, oh, the yeah. Long Island rocker, because he would introduce us every night. MT, the Long yeah. Island rocker. We're going to introduce the band astrologically, you know, where they're from and astrologically, you know, so. <laughs> He's a Virgo. No. I'm an Aquarius. He's an Aquarius. You see, you're February 11th coming yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you're on it, but. Well, you mentioned February 9th, which is, yeah. Yeah, and so. Yeah, I and when I met Glow, I went from being Mike to Michael. I hated uh-huh. Michael because the only time I heard it was when my mother was mad at me. Mike, yeah. ah! but you know I was Mike. To but everyone. on album credits or anything, were you? Were you uh, that was before album but credits. Still, and so had, I met her, and she's like, somewhere. "Mike sounds like a you know a fucking carpenter ass crack guy." You know, it's like <laughs> you know you're Michael. You know, and uh, so yeah. I came out here as michael thompson but i just yeah. most a lot of my friends call me mt yeah it's mt just, uh, yeah this, is, this room is so awesome man you just oh it's just so much life and stories and and uh yeah and, and souvenirs and i know when i take it down so my get mm. my wife has gotten me a guitar every year for christmas <sighs> for like 30 something years you know dream girl and she got me like the odd guitar that i wouldn't have gotten myself like that dobro yeah the sitar um that jerry jones um that gretch i mean i wouldn't have bought those for myself but i was glad that i had them yeah check that out feels vintage it's it's a 90s reissue but it's a dot reissue now the strings that are on that are the same that are on these other guitars, but they feel ridiculously light on that. Yeah, are you these like um? It's the nine and a half set, which got really good to me. Yeah, a lot the, of great guitar players I know of use Gidario. nine and a half. Yeah, it's you know what took yeah you can put it up against that thing. yeah, you know what took getting used to was the eleven and a half because I was used to a thirteen for so long. Oh yeah, which I can still bend the hell out of a thirteen, but. Once you get used to that 11 and a half, when you go back to it, you can really sing with it, you know? You can really, yeah. like... The 11 you know, and a half is on the... And yeah. the 13's just that much harder to hold up, you know? Well, thanks for meeting today. Keep it alive till you're 95. Keep it alive till you're 95. That was the... Uh, <laughs> That's what Joe's Joe Satcher. You said you were checking out the list of podcasts. Yeah, on the episode one, his music teacher told him, "Are we talking about like you know keeping it alive till you're 95?" Wow, you know he's from, I think it's yeah, right. just a few miles him from where Vi. Yeah, and so when I've read stuff about him, like the influences and stuff, it's it's you know we're all kind of the same age and same part of the country and the long hang. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. <laughs> 